Pastor Xavier Reese, reminding us that God's greatest gift must first be opened. Israel's exhortation to accept God's righteousness guaranteed they could be saved, but it was up to them whether they chose to. You sit in the place of privilege to hear the gospel. You have to make a decision where you spend eternity. You'll never be able to blame God if you don't get to heaven. It's all up to you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Making a choice and being chosen are two entirely different actions. Throughout history, the nation of Israel has enjoyed particular favor from God. But in order to enjoy everlasting favor and a relationship with Him, each individual person must personally choose to accept God's grace. That's the important lesson Pastor Xavier emphasizes in today's Simple Truth study from the Book of Romans. Let's listen. You have a Bible. Why don't you turn to Romans chapter 9, please? The message is entitled, The Need of Israel to be Saved. From verse 30 here down to chapter 10, verse 13, their present need of salvation through the gospel is presented, which we're going to look at. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God who became man to redeem sinful man, but many like Israel continue to reject him. Listen to Psalm 118, 22 to 23. The psalmist tells us that Jesus, the stone, would be rejected by the builders but would become the chief cornerstone by the Lord's doing, being the key to hold the entire building together. You know the keystone, that's the thing that holds the thing together. Jesus identifies himself as that stone in Matthew 21, 42, Mark 12, 10, and 11. He says, this is referring to me, the rejection by the Jews of me. I am that chief cornerstone. Israel's rejection of God's righteousness left them, listen, unsaved. Notice next, Israel's exaltation of their own righteousness is presented. Verse 1 through 4 of chapter 10 there. In verse 1, the apostle Paul declared his uh, intercession for Israel's salvation. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. The extent of his love for Israel has already been stated, as we said. He could wish himself a curse, though it wasn't possible or necessary in chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, yet he's pouring out his heart. He's laying it before them. Their zeal was religious, not righteous. For I bear them witness that they have a seal for God, but not according to knowledge. That's the key. That's what made it wrong. They had the law, the writings, and the prophets. They had the promises of God, but they failed to understand the entire plan of God. The Old Testament spoke of the prophetic types and shadows of things to come. Jesus being the fulfillment of all of that thing. But they were trying to hang on to the shadows and the types. That is a big problem. That's not a minute thing. They had the promise of the Messiah back in Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, as we said. They, they had crucified the Messiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all recorded. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness, rejecting God and trying to establish their own. Through self-righteousness, they rested and boasted in the law, Paul said in Romans 2.17. Through relying on their circumcision, Romans 2.25-29. Through trusting their deeds of the law for their justification before God, a self-righteousness, Romans 3.20 and 9.33. That's the problem. Look at verse 4. 
The Apostle Paul declared their failure to acknowledge Christ as salvation. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul stated Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill Matthew 5, 17. And so Jesus was the goal of the law. Paul said the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, Galatians 3, 4. Oprah Winfrey, in one of her television programs, had an audience and discussing, and she said that Jesus Christ was not the only way and could not be the only way. And then some Christians jumped up and got in her face, thank God. (laughs) Now, she's the biggest promoter of new age in emergent church. She's the greatest promoter of deception against Christ. Pray that she repent. The first thing that every one of us as Christians are to do is to pray for those who do not know Christ as Savior, knowing their lostness. We were once lost, so we know. Your immediate family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters. Prayer is a powerful thing. My son walked away from God for 16 years. Pray fervently everywhere I went in the United States, around the world. I always ask people to pray for him. I had hundreds and thousands praying. Prayer. Our extended families, our uncles, our aunts, cousins, the friends that we grew up with, friends that we still run into at times. Our co-workers, our neighbors, those that God would put a burden on our heart over, make a list. First Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplication, prayer, and intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's not willing that any should perish, Peter says. But they're all come to repentance. We know not all will come, but we're to pray. How does that all work? I don't know. You pray. That's God's department. Notice thirdly, Israel's exhortation to accept God's righteousness. In verse 5, the apostle Paul explains the meaning of the righteousness of the law. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. So the authority is Moses here. God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments, as you know, two tables of stone written with the finger of God. He gave Moses the statutes, the judgment, and the ordinances to live by. And God gave all the law and the rules of sacrifice and the priesthood and everything necessary. Everything. The quotation is from Leviticus 18.5. The one speaking is Yahweh. Listen to his words. Back in Leviticus verse 1, it says, And the Lord Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, The command to Moses was this, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. The standard of righteousness of the law in Leviticus was in his perfection. This is what follows in verse 3 through 4 and 5. 3 and 4, the declaration. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwell, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgment and keep my statutes or ordinance to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Obedience, complete obedience, total obedience, constant obedience. And verse 5 says this. 
You shall therefore keep my statutes, my judgments, which if a man does them, he shall live in them, for I am the Lord. This is the quotation. So you've got to live in them constantly. It's constantly doing. But the more you did, the law was to show you that you can't do it, and it's to drive you to the end of yourself. You can't keep it. And so the Apostle Paul explains the meaning next of the righteousness of faith. Here's the contrast. That's what the law says. Now, verse 6 and 7, the meaning of righteousness of faith, which is the provision of Jesus Christ. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. The righteousness of faith is personified as speaking as a person here by the phrase speaks in this way. This was and is the only faith provision given by God the Father, Jesus Christ. The quotation regards the law from Deuteronomy and it is in view of the incarnation. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. The quote is, is the law of God of, to Israel and their inexcusability for not submitting to it by the clear choice of life and good and death and evil. This is the covenant they made there in Deuteronomy. Chapter 30, verse 12 and through 14. They had to choose between life and death, good and evil. Take note, it says, do not say in your heart. This is the abode of man's evil deceptiveness. My heart. He didn't say, do not say in your mind, in your brain, in your heart. The application is that the incarnation does not have to take place again. It's already past fact. He already came down. So Israel was inexcusable. Do not say in your heart, it says there, who's going to bring Christ down from above? It's already happened. Look at verse 7. The second quotation also regards the law from Deuteronomy, there, chapter 30, 12 through 14. This time in view of the resurrection. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. The quote again regards the law of God's word to Israel and their inexcusability for not submitting to it. Again, a clear choice of life and good, death and evil. There's always a choice, ladies and gentlemen. God never forces anybody. The application is that the resurrection does not have to take place again. Why? It's already a past fact. He already rose from the dead. So Israel, once again, is inexcusable. Do you understand? It was their own fault they had not come to Christ. Not the word, not God, not the Gentiles, their fault. Now look at verse 8 through 10. The apostle Paul explained the method of obtaining righteousness by faith. How do you get it? Paul stated, it is by the proclamation of the word of God. But what does it say? He is still quoting Deuteronomy verse 14, but what does this say? The authority again is the scriptures and the word continues to be personified. He declared that Israel and the Jew were inexcusable due to the fact that the word of God was accessible to them by his expression. What expression? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. They were inexcusable. You don't have to bring them down. You don't have to raise them up. The word is right here to you. The word for the word is called the word in the Greek, rima or rhema, whichever we want to pronounce it. 
which means the spoken word in contrast to the logos, the expression of thought and embodiment of ideas, okay? The two words, rima and logos. Now, the faith movement, Fred Price and all the guys, they tell you the rima. You got to say the rima, you know, the spoken word, powerful word, and you can bring these things to pass. Don't say nothing negative because you bring the things to pass. And they quote things out of context. There's no Greek scholar would agree with these guys at all. It's a corruption of the Greek word. It just simply means the spoken word, different from the logos. That's all. In fact, the word appears four times in Romans, all in chapter 10, twice in this verse, and once in 17, and once in 18. Notice he identifies this word as the preaching of the gospel, because you have to audibly speak it. I am preaching. I am the rhema. I am speaking forth God's word. That is the word of faith which we preach. The word preaches Caruso, as you know, it's a herald. He was hired by the state to make proclamations. The message wasn't his. The authority wasn't his. It was vested to him. He was only responsible to preach the announcement. He was not responsible for the response, only for the proclamation. The word appears four times in Romans. Three of them are in this chapter, verse 8, 14, and 15. The other one was found in chapter 2, verse 21. Caruso. Both of these words, Rhema and Caruso, set the stage for the following section of sending preachers to herald the good news that people may be saved. Verse 14 to 21, he's going to get into the preacher to preach the gospel. Wow. Look at verse 9. Paul stated the qualification for righteousness of faith to be imputed to the person in order to be saved. That if you confess with your mouth that Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, listen, you shall be saved. The individual has to confess with his mouth the person of Christ. That Jesus was God and became man, the Lamb of God, as the payment for the sins of the world. That Jesus is Lord, Curios, master and owner of the believer who repents. The word confess, homo legio, it means to say the same thing, to agree with the Father on his provisions of Jesus Christ. It's much like Israel, the Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord our God is one. In other words, they believe with what God says about God. We are to agree with God. The individual has to believe the resurrection of Jesus also. Those are the two things he's talking about. The belief is in the heart. Notice that. Indicating genuinely and completely opposed to mere intellectual ascent to information. The heart being the center of the physical and spiritual being. Spiritual life. The whole person's faculty. Intellect. Emotions and will wholeheartedly I believe it's just not something that rattles up here in the hamster cage the word believe means to be persuaded to trust something to be true the very same word that Paul used for Abraham believed God has accounted to him for righteousness in Romans 4.3 same word that Jesus literally rose out from the dead and is raising at the right hand of the Father both confession of the mouth and belief in the heart is by the conviction of the Holy Spirit who allows us to see our lostness and gives us the ability to make a decision but doesn't make the decision for us. You understand? God never forces you. You make the decision. You're responsible for whether you're saved or not. Everything has been done. The individual will be saved, he says. That's the result if that follows through. Your sins will be forgiven immediately. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as this is the West, the position will be as sons and daughters of God. Having peace with God, Romans 5.1. And they are given a new mind, a new heart, a divine nature to escape the corruption of this world, Second Peter 1, 3-4. Wow. 
All of that, just trusting God. Amazing. Look at 10. Paul stated the confirmation of the process of salvation. For with the heart, one believes unto the righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The order in verse 8 and 9 was the mouth followed by the heart. The reason being that the mouth is the only tangible evidence that man can go by initial salvation, a verbal expression. When you accept the Lord, I just trust what you said. The order in verse 10 is heart follows the mouth, revealing the process of salvation. The mouth and the heart are closely linked together. The heart being the root, the mouth being the fruit. Matthew 12, 34. The parable of the sword declares the word of God was sown in their heart, not their brain. Matthew 13, 19. And so, in verse 11 to 13, the apostle Paul then explains the affirmation of the scriptural authority for salvation through the righteousness by faith. The apprehension of salvation by a person who believes in Jesus will not regret or end up being deceived. Listen to his words. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. The quote is from Isaiah 28, 16. The measure of those able to believe is whosoever, all, every, anybody. The word shame means to be dishonored, disgrace, to blush, with shame, suffering, repulse, or some hope as being deceived. That will not happen to the person who puts his trust in Christ. They're standing on the rock. 9.33 told us that already. Very important. Regarding their past sins, they will be forgiven. Regarding their future hope, they will not be disappointed. It's sure. The word also implies no disappointment regarding the abundant life here in this life and regarding the future hope in the next life. The world promises much but delivers very little. Jesus promised you everything and he'll give you so much more than you can even imagine. <laughs> Look at 12. The comprehension of salvation understands no one is excluded. This cannot be said enough. The Jew and the Greek are both sinners in need of salvation for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The entire world is guilty before God, Paul said in Romans 3.19. The Jew and Gentile have the same God for salvation, Romans 3.29. The world was divided into these two categories, Jew and Greek, or Jew or Gentile, either way. Even the Scythian could be saved in Colossians 3.11. The Scythians were that northern tribes who were just gruesome. They would take their enemies, kill them, decapitate them, boil their heads, and then clean them up and use them for drinking goblets. Now, if you're a Scythian, you can be saved. All right? God is able to save those who repent. The Jew as well as the Greek can be saved. For the same Lord, overall, it says, is rich to all who call upon him. Jesus is sufficient for salvation for any person. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. In him you're complete. In him though the sum total of the Godhead bodily. Every person that calls upon him. He's the God-man on whom everybody must bow. Needs to bow, tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. No one else. The confirmation of salvation is to all. Listen to his words. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The quote is from Joel 2.32. Peter quotes it in the day of Pentecost, chapter 2. The invitation runs till the Lord comes and to as many as are far off. In Luke 2.39. Do you see this preparation? Because the next section, 14 to 21, he's going to talk about the preachers who go out to preach the gospel, the people who may be saved. <laughs> and Israel still rejects. 
There's no better illustration for Israel to be saved than the words of Jeremiah. Listen to him very carefully. Jeremiah 20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. Why? Because you choose not to. Wow. The majority of Israel is still not saved today. Most are secular Jews in their lifestyle and beliefs. There's a small number who have accepted Christ. They're called completed Jew or Messianic Jews. And they've accepted Christ Jesus. But for the most part, Israel is still blind. We're going to get into the next chapter, chapter 11. The law of God is perfect, and any person thinking they can keep it is arrogant and deceived. The law and the prophets were always pointing to the righteousness of faith to come. Listen to Galatians 3, 10 through 12. For as many as are of the work of the law are under the curse where it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Just yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live in them. Galatians 3, 10 through 12. God has prepared Israel for 2,000 years to receive their Messiah. They rejected him. John says he came to his own, his own received and not John 1, 11. They rejected him. Jesus said to the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. They said, well, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? As surely I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, John 8, 56, 58. I am, I'm the guy back there in the mountain <laughs> with Moses. Wow. God saved 3,000 Jews and proselytes in the day of Pentecost. Peter stood up and declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that God had predestined and predetermined from the foundation, approved by works and everything else, and he is the one who has been raised from the dead. He speaks about David, who was a prophet, who spoke of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's exalted to the right hand of God. And he concludes by saying in verse 36 to 41, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's what happened when we heard the word of God. It convicts us. Hopefully you respond this way, in repentance. And they said to Peter and the rest of the, people, and the, rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what must we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word of God were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. To them. You sit in the place of privilege to hear the gospel. You have to make a decision where you spend eternity. You'll never be able to blame God if you don't get to heaven. It's all up to you. Israel's exhortation to accept God's righteousness guaranteed they could be saved, but it was up to them whether they chose to. And so Israel's here's her need for salvation has been presented. It comes through the gospel. And it's characterized by Israel's rejection of God's righteousness that left them unsaved. Israel's exaltation of their own righteousness deceiving them to think they were saved. 
and Israel's exhortation to accept God's righteousness guaranteeing that they could be saved. But the bottom line is, God won't force you. Why are you not saved? An important reminder on today's simple truths from Pastor Xavier Reese of our need to make a personal choice of God as our Savior. Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And if you'd like a copy of today's study to dig deeper into the teaching or perhaps pass on to a friend, ask for the title, The Need of Israel to be Saved. Request a CD for just $4. And this includes what we heard the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is The Need of Israel to be Saved, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 